0: welcome back to label the stories rumors and legends of tooth and nail records i'm your host matt carter and you can probably tell in my voice i'm smiling because it's a special day because it's a special week it's furnace fest week which means it's also labeled fest week which is on furnace fest eve that's this thursday um and you can see five bands who've been featured on the Labelled podcast play one super intense show together in real life so it's kind of a dream scenario with his own uh, little story to it. I had Chad Johnson on this podcast a while back just to talk about uh, Furnace Fest and have been doing a lot of episodes leading up to that and I started chatting with him about how maybe we could do something cool to add more meaning to the fest and how could we be involved, the label you know, community. And he offered me one of the three rooms that they had in town on hold Saturday night and said that he would trust me to put together an event um, and the idea for Label Fest immediately came to mind. So I hit up some bands and we figured it out, you know, pretty much right away. Uh, the other two events are, of course, Norman Jean and Zayo. So I was really honored that, that he trusted me and us to, to do that. So uh, we just put some bands together just through text. We skipped the managers and agents. Everybody agreed to just take some cut of the door and we would just do something fun. So those bands are Emory, Hope's Ball, As Cities Burn, Terminal, and Mike Maines and the Branches. We just figured man we've got these sets we're working on for the festival and it's gonna be great on that big festival stage but sure would be awesome to play in a small club and harness that energy and do it together and give people a chance to connect before the festival it just seems like a no-brainer so it's an official Furnace Fest pre-party it's a very very win-win situation all the way around so uh, it's Thursday night in Birmingham at a club called Saturn And it's on the early side, so you can still make it to see Norma Jean and Zayo that night, I think. Or you can stay with us, and we have an emo night with Josh Head, who's a really great DJ. I've seen him do it a bunch of times. Um, And I've already heard confirmation that some other Labeled Universe people will be there hanging out as well, uh, including Evil. last I heard. So I'm looking forward just to the energy and to the hang um, of that event in Furnace Fest. It's going to be awesome, Uh, and there's a ticket link in the show notes. And today's also very special because we get to talk to a legend in the broader scene, Matt Pryor. And that common ground gives a perfect opportunity to gain the perspective of somebody who's kind of more outside our narrow scene, but also to understand ourselves better, uh, as well as realize what everybody has in common. So uh, in 1995, the Get Up Kids began exploring their surroundings and expanding their horizons, much in the same way the early tooth and nail and solid state artists were doing. Uh, it was the Midwest emo scene in this case and they were sharing stages with fans of seemingly all genres, making friends in other states. Uh, they weren't asking for permission for what they did and no one stopped them from blazing pathways that would open and connect to others' uh, regional underground scenes together and really open up the whole all ages movement. Um, Matt Pryor also hosts the Vagrant Podcast which is a series that celebrates their 20 years of releases that they've done. Um, and he's doing a great job with that and I'm just stoked that there's somebody doing that for another label the way we do for this because uh, there's just there's tons of good information stories to tell and conversations to have and more to there's plenty to do and so the fact that other people are out there doing anything similar um, is great and Pryor's always been an innovative guy and I just you know I always pay attention to what he does and I'm not surprised to see him doing cool stuff and, and won't be surprised in the future but it really gives a cool opportunity for to take a look at the Christian part of the all ages scene through the eyes of a personality who's similar to many people we would have on this show, but yet from an outsider's perspective. So, yeah, hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt Pryor. Well, it's good to see you. I don't know when we talked last, Matt, or if I come to think of it, I don't even uh, remember when we met, but I just know that I knew about you a long time before you knew about me. Um, and we've done a lot <laughs> of similar things and even podcasting. You're one of the people that got that I first when I first started podcasting, you were the, one of the only people doing it um, mm-hmm. in this space and doing the, the type of podcast you were doing. Um, I thought was really was really great. So thank you for uh, being what I, I consider, um, and our whole scene and everybody considers pioneers in you know more than one area. <laughs> All right, thanks. You that's, don't think so? I don't know. I don't. You don't think I'd... of yourself as a pioneer? No. <laughs> I mean, I, that's grandiose, maybe, but is it not? Do you, yeah, you seem not... to do things ahead of other people.
1: Yeah, but I I mean ahead of other people but after people that influenced me. So for for me to take I mean I when I started my podcast I just had been listening to a bunch of Mark Marin for like a year. You know, I was like I I can talk to people. Like I do interviews all the time anyway, so might as well just give it a whirl. Um yeah, it seems like a lot of uh, especially like lead singers of bands seem to have podcasts now, which
0: mm-hmm. is uh uh is, is cool. I'm a big proponent of the medium. Well, you, you found it uh, on the earlier side and started doing it um, before a lot of people were, and you're doing it really well in that sense when it's informal. And I think that's the same thing that I'm interested in in the music scene. And want to talk about coming out of the Midwest and the emo from there. It, all this stuff always starts informal where there's no rules and there's people just interested to explore this terrain and stuff like that. So that's, what mm-hmm. it, that's what's before it's commercialized, basically. It's pre-commercial.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I talk about this a couple different times on the the Vagrant Podcast. of just like, you know, there wasn't a why. There just was a was a was. You know, it was just like, this is just what we do. And it just like, no one ever stopped us. Like, you know, we're just like playing music with our friends, going to shows with our friends, putting out records with our friends. And then no one ever went like, no one ever thought of it as a career. Waited how's this. like can we do this you know should we do this should we not and we we just did it and we were young and dumb enough to think that we could and then we just kept
0: at it So let's go all the way back in time to, I was listening on the Vagrant Podcast and you had the date. Um, I don't remember whose birthday it was, but the first Get Up Kids practice was 1995, something like that.
1: October 14th, 1995. It was Jim's 18th birthday, which I'm kind of like, why would you want to have band practice on your 18th birthday? You know, like go, at, go out. But I guess that's, that's who he was, wanted to hang out with, you know, like that was, that was we were all um, friends. So.
0: And how old were you when he was 18?
1: Uh, I was 19
0: one of the things we talk a lot about here is the uh, regions that kind of developed independently through the 90s into the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's Southern California, this and that. And especially in the Christian scene, it was coming out of church basements and there was some people doing house shows and things in Seattle and putting together. And then there's this whole Furnace Fest territory of people coming in you know, in the Florida and then that scene. Um, uh, and the, the tooth and nail particular in Christian stuff was uh, less had a lot less in the Midwest and it had a lot less in the Northeast overall as an area that just, for whatever reason, there was less stuff there. And so a lot of people don't have a good background on what was the vibe in the scene that actually came out of that whole Midwest scene because it's a pretty influential scene in the whole emo, but it's one that I don't hear people talk a lot about. What was the situation of shows? What was the availability of shows? How did you have the culture?
1: I have two thoughts on this. Uh One is that like, in Kansas City, there there wasn't really a unified um, all-ages scene. There was a couple of places you could play, and there were a couple bands, but it ultimately, you know, when you're in a band in high school or whatever, it ends up being, like, there's not enough bands that sound similar to have a strong scene, so we just have, like, we'd play a show, and it would be, like, us, a pop-punk band, a ska band, and a hardcore band, and that would be, you know, mm-hmm. just a normal show because we were all... Um, you know, outsiders. That was the thing that we had in common, regardless of, of what kind of music that we played. And it wasn't until we started leaving Kansas City there's you know, one two I'd say two two bands from Kansas City, Boys Life and Giants Chair, that would were, were sort of like musically influential on how we ended up writing. There were a lot of good bands that were a little bit older than us that were more on the like the heavy side, uh season to risk, Mile McGuire, Shiner, um, that we really, really liked, but we didn't really write Music like that, and they, they played in like the bar scene around town, which we weren't even old enough to get. I mean, we've played we played bars when we were younger, but we weren't you know hanging mm. out there because we were in our teens. But then when we started leaving Kansas City and especially going to uh, like Chicago, because if I really think about it, when people talk about the Midwest quote unquote emo music scene, I think they're talking about the Chicago, Milwaukee area.
0: It, it started there. Is that Captain Jazz and stuff yeah. like that? But I mean, to me, I think of it as includes the Get Up Kids and like Appleseed Cast as far as I'm concerned.
1: I think we get lumped into it because of our proximity, but that we didn't really have much of a scene to speak of when we started out. When we moved to Lawrence, Kansas, where I live now, and we met the anniversary and we met Appleseed Cast and we met people who were in a similar, I guess, genre, uh, it kind of started to feel like Oh, we have a scene here, you know, and then there's always been kind of this artistic rivalry between Kansas City and, and Lawrence because you know it's it's like Lawrence is a college town and it's you know indie rock snobbery, whereas Kansas City is like very blue collar and and like working class kind of um, mentality. So,
0: and then that same scene, if you go out of the region, you've got Mineral. I I'd, I put in there, but that's like in Texas or even Sunny mm-hmm. Day it would be in that category to to me the way I was experiencing it or trying to classify it myself in around you know the late 90s or so that's what i would have thought yeah and they were in washington but you know
1: um yeah i mean sunny day was a big influence on us and then you know when we got minerals first seven inch we, we just wore that thing out and then we went on tour of them and we're just like oh we're just gonna stay at jeremy's house every time we're in austin wow. you know like i wanted to get him a plaque that said, this house sleeps twelve dudes because we actually had twelve guys on the floor, and it was like it was like Tetris. It was pretty cool. Wow,
0: what was a uh, mineral like live? You know, in those days, where it was it powerful?
1: Sonically, yeah, they didn't. They weren't terribly active on stage. They were just like, you know, they would stand there and they would play and they would perform really well. But we we kept joking that like we were trying to get them to jump. We're just like, just move, <laughs> you know, just like, and that's just what that's just not the kind of music they played and it wasn't who they were on stage, but they were always sounded amazing and they always, um, you know, were really powerful to watch.
0: What were those show sizes like when you do those type of, in your memory, how many people were at those shows? I know on that tour, we were
1: supposed to play in New Orleans and um, there were were like two people there and we're just like, fuck this. We're just going to go walk around New Orleans and then we're like, hey, do you guys want to just, you know, hang out with us and we're going to go get, you know, beignets and crawfish and they're like, yeah, sure. So we just... (laughs) walked around the quarter, and that was probably more fun for even the kids that were going to the show than it would have been if we had played an awkward show to two people
0: yeah yeah
1: for sure where are you from where are you from originally
0: so we're from South Carolina. We were we okay. were went to college in the '90s. Uh, I mean, you know, late '90s went to college, finished in 2000, and we're trying to start bands, but didn't. There was no scene. There was no anything. We were almost just new metally radio rock, and there was no got bands it. around us or anything. So we said we gotta finish college and move to Seattle and start a real band and just. And so we, the people that were in a couple of serious bands, we got together, moved to Seattle, exact really 20 years ago, um, and really started our band from there. But never lost accent is all.
1: Yeah, how often in Seattle do people ask you about your accent? Well, every it's every
0: day. I mean, I yeah. explain I explain that story I just did to you every single day of my life. And when I go to Whole Foods, I just I have to say it the same <laughs> same.
1: I do that whenever I meet somebody who's obviously from England or Scotland or, yeah. or Australia, and I'm like, "You're not from around these parts, are you?" Yeah, and you have that
0: conversation all day every yeah. day. That's right.
1: And then it's just and then it's always. But I've traveled enough that I can be like, "Oh, you're from Leeds. Oh, mm-hmm. I know, I know this guy, Robin Leeds, and we used to go play there, and you know." Um, This that and the other, so okay. Enough about that.
0: But the, you know, I we discovered that whole scene, and it was really the Deep Elm Records was big for us. So all the Deep Elm stuff, which wasn't, it it, it was sonically similar.
1: uh, It was deep. Did Deep Elm have a Christian? Bent. I don't know what the
0: word would be. I don't it, know. I don't want bent is a good word. It was like, is this a Christian label? And it was like, no, it's not a Christian label. It's like an emo label. But it's like the guy used to do this or whatever. And a lot of the ba- like Branson was a, mm-hmm. was a Christian related band, basically.
1: Well, and then I think Appleseed was originally in that scene too. Mm-hmm. E- even though Aaron, the guitar player, was Jewish.
0: He and I would talk about it and be like, well, Jesus was Jewish, so fine, <laughs> you know, just like. <laughs> Yeah, that, but that's right. That was kind of the territory of it, um, and it wasn't the hard because there's this hardcore stuff that like Tooth and Nail and Solid State. That was how they, you know, originally was going this Orange County mm-hmm. hardcore stuff, and uh, there was a lot of that. But Tooth the, and Nail's
1: out of Seattle, though, isn't it?
0: It's Tooth and Nail's Seattle, yes. But yeah, okay. the but but the, they just had a strong uh they well brandon who owns Tooth nail was in southern california and then moved to Got seattle um, but west coast based and then there's cornerstone so then you get cornerstone that oh, overlaps mm-hmm. um around the same time so that seemed like branson would, would go play cornerstone and then they would be at you know do, with deep elm band so there was a lot of that is this a christian is it not kind of thing that's when that whole territory was born you i know?
1: remember when that was all happening our friend jake who uh is one of the owners of CNC Drums here in Kansas City. Yep. Used used to play in a band called uh, Reflector that was like he grew up in that scene that you're talking about, and he was telling me about going to play at Cornerstone and like selling a thousand dollars worth of seven inches or something like that, and I was just like,
0: "Man, how do we pretend to be a Christian band <laughs> so we
1: can go sell seven inches?"
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that was the weird thing about the whole territory is like, is this 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 uh, and I really like to think of the story this way. It's like Christian music is cheesy and bad, and we all know that. We just happen to be Christian, and a lot of us came from the territory where you're literally not allowed to listen to anything if it doesn't get mm-hmm. stamped as Christian. So it created this like um, this bubble where there's these people like me and you – who are similar to people types um, trying to do the same thing. And then you there's this avenue where if you can, you're allowed to do it if you say it's Christian or if you do it at church or if you, whatever. And then there's this all age movement where they're happening in church basements. And so it gives the, the ability to reach out and touch this, Wider culture for, mm-hmm. for people like us And then Some of the people That started to do that Started to really actually be Not trying to make cheesy music But the music's really great It's Roadside yeah. Monument Or Branson Or Appleseed Cast Or something oh, like fuck. that I mean even and so, Sunny, Day, Sunny you know,
1: Day You know has, a, has Christian You know Underpinnings sometimes You know It's just like uh, There's nothing inherently wrong Or There's nothing inherently cheesy About being Either a Christian band Or a band Who has Christians in it Um I think that whenever you other yourself like that you become kind of uh what's the word it's almost like incestuous so that like anything when it's just like anything that's not christian isn't good that then it mm-hmm. kind of like muddies the pool of of what you can do and it kind of dilutes it I guess you know what I mean and that's why you mm-hmm. end up having things that are sort of like kind of corny
0: yes well because you can take that that and abuse it and just sail to the choir or whatever and it'll work right i I mean i I remember
1: so uh we my real first experience like even learning about tooth and nail if you want to get into this was when we we opened for mxpx in 1998 and it was actually the first support tour that we ever did they had just left tooth and nail and they signed to what they had just signed to a major and they didn't come out and say this but it did seem to be like they were trying to make this transition into uh being more than just a christian pop punk band like not denying that but not like because there's kind of a ceiling on it as far as you can take it like career wise is my tell me if you think that i'm wrong there but like that's always been my interpretation of it. And they were trying to be more like kind of mainstream. And I just remember thinking that would must be a tough, a tough balance to, to maintain because you don't want to alienate the people who came up with you and who mm. still support you. But at the same time, you got to like be true to yourself,
0: you know, I'm, I'm really engaged with this hearing it from your point of view, because it's really clarifying to me, but um you're right. There's a stigma involved basically Mm -hmm. like it feels a certain way and but it's a trade-off the way i see it in that to bring a a passionate spirituality as a layer of an art form you're creating if it's Mm -hmm. true and genuine and real and you really mean it and you're writing spirit-filled hardcore when you're moshing and you're feeling the holy spirit or whatever that is you're actually trying to channel and you really believe that and it's not a commercial thing and the fans can access that too. It's like e- even more of that ecstatic experience that you know that, that they have at Burning Man or wherever, where it really helps people bond together and empowers the art in a way if it's real and true. So it gives an advantage, but yet there's a stigma because it's lumped in with the. It can be abused, obviously, as well, mm-hmm. and it can be commercialized and every. So you've put this other ingredient in um, that that can either help you bridge a gap or take it to another level. Or- that ingredient has a lot of rules to it. A lot of, like, limiting rules. I imagine
1: it's probably hard to be free with your creativity within those parameters to a certain degree. Like, I don't have that particular baggage, because even though I went to, you know, Catholic school for 12 years, but I I don't roll like that. But I I imagine if you're always kind of worried about what your community is going to
0: judge you for, that it would be very limiting creatively. It is, but it's the but not if you're the outsider. So if you feel like you did and identify like the way you felt an outsider, the way I felt like an outsider and you're doing your outsider thing, your job, you understand, and your social system is to push the rules of your people, like you're a punk too. Yeah. You identify as a punk as a Christian punk that's pushing those boundaries farther out. And so sometimes that turned into some cool stuff or whatever. So you have, at some point you have Norma Jean who, you know, is just out there competing at a really high level and other labels are trying to have acts that sound like Norma Jean. So instead of being this copy of, of culture, at yeah. some point, some of our scene was able to really push through and push through the Sigma, and Under Oath, you know, at some point makes it number two on Billboard.
1: I mean, that happens. It's not exclusive to the Christian scene either. It's like anytime anytime the suits get wind of that there's kids buying records, yeah. they're going to like take it, and then there's going to be people who um, exploit it, and then there's going to be people who come along and go like, oh, I want to be... I want to be my chem big, you know, or whatever. And they're going to just do whatever that band, did. you know what I mean? Like, and, um, so it's not exclusive. I mean, I, I saw it happen with our little scene, you know, in the kind of early 2000s where it, it was just sort of like, I felt really out of touch with, uh, bands that we were being like lumped in with just as a general quote unquote emo thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I was just, it was very, very warped Toury kind of time. And I was just sort of like, I'm, I don't relate to this anymore.
0: What was the um, selloutness to you then? Like, you know, if for us to be to cater to commercial Christianity feels, felt yucky or gross. What was the equivalent as the as it became your scene came commercialized?
1: I kind of lost touch around the whole like ironed hair, guy liner, that kind of like alternative press, warp tour, sort of early two thousands sort of scene. And I don't, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I was just sort of like, this is for people younger than me you know? yeah. <laughs> and that was, was when like, you could feel it change into yeah, yeah. yeah and also there was just there were a lot more people sniffing around because there was blood in the water and there was money to be made and so there was mm, I really have a hard time with record industry people um, which is why I really enjoyed working with Vagrant and now working with Polyvinyl cuz it's just like they're just people who like music and but mm-hmm. you can tell sometimes when you meet someone who's in the music industry because they just think it's a job or they are looking for money or so to somehow attach themselves to someone else's celebrity
0: yeah well, so you called them suits and have already identified them negatively <laughs> at least once or twice so <laughs> who are the suits and who are not oh i don't know it's it's i guess you gotta like
1: everyone's got to make that decision for themselves okay here's a thought so have you ever been at a show and there's an older guy there with a glossy photo of your band that he wants you to sign. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know that guy.
1: And you yeah. can go like, like we always go like, "Hey man, what's your favorite song?"
0: Yeah, and he'll yeah, be like, I
1: "Oh, I really like all of them." And so then we want to like sign the picture like to eBay. Thank you for coming to the show, you know, or, right. or whatever. Um, that sort of disingenuous thing whenever, like, people are, like, telling us we're gonna be the next big thing or, like, really just blowing smoke up our ass, I my bullshit detector just flares off, you know, and... Um People don't do that to me anymore. like when people tell me that they like what I do they're usually they're fans at this point because I've made it clear that I'm not going to be some anybody's cash cow Yeah at the time it was just a lot of like I don't know man, it's hard to explain. it's just kind of I know it when I
0: see it but that's I'm still fascinated by that even if it's hard to articulate, but you have an individual um, way that you read what people are trying to a calculus of what people are trying to get out of things. So it's not a certain role like a manager or agent necessarily, but it's that mentality. I am curious to see, as we get as the Vagrant Podcast progresses,
1: what gets edited out of getting into the era that I'm talking about, which is kind of around when like Census Fail was blowing up around 2005 or so, 2006. Yeah, and there's there's one industry person who is name is called out by name by Buddy and, and some other people, and it's a it's a it's a a name that is always followed by a groan, and I'm curious to see if Jesse, the producer, keeps that in the, the final edit. I think we're actually going to release all the raw interviews eventually, but... Awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of curious <laughs> to see. <laughs> like, even in the Get Up Kids ones, there's some things that
0: I was like... Oh, are we going to keep that in
1: there? Okay, that's fine. You know.
0: Well, I was really, I'm really fascinated with it. Um, and I like, I really like what you're doing at the Vagrant Podcast. Just the fact that Vagrant's doing it is huge. I was really enjoying hearing you talk about the Get Up Kids signing, um, you know, from Doghouse to Vagrant getting started. And, you know, he's been a manager and then it's an agent and this contract was bad and you have a lawyer and this podcast being called Labeled. It was this, what marks the era of the whole time is the fact that labels really, the indie labels were able to somehow have these collection of bands. It's like skaters when they get s- sponsored. Like you're, you've are you made it, even yeah. though you haven't made really anything, but no. you have in a way, that's all there was. So all those details matter, you know. That's kind of that part
1: of that era that I was talking about where I sort of like checked out is that there were all these younger bands. Um. <laughs> so I've talked to to Parker about this. Uh, who played guitar and say anything for a while, because he had a band called Jameson Parker that were like yep. just two young kids that got signed to a big major label deal. And then they came on tour opening for for me, like uh, playing solo. And I was just like, oh God, you guys haven't... They, they were just like... <laughs> they were just being such asses. <laughs> and I was just like... And I was just busting Parker's balls about it. And I was just... They were kids, you know? They were just... <laughs> Like when we were kid, when we were that age, and we were we were already touring, but we were eating shit the whole time. You know, like we were living yeah. on five dollars a day and sleeping on floors. So, you know, we were humble about it. We we you, you know, did that hum- for the whole second half of the nineties, yeah, right, right. I mean, we got our first tour bus in ninety nine. We start, you know, so which is is quick if you really think about. That's one thing doing this podcast is like you realize, I, in my mind, this all took a lot longer than it did, and it all it all happened really quickly and um but yeah i mean we we toured for two solid years of n- just non-stop sleeping on floors and 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 eating taco bell because you know you could eat you know taco bell and cigarettes that's what our everybody's five dollars a day went to and uh not me i don't smoke you know so you by the time we got to having a bus we were just like all right this is you know we're going to appreciate this this thing we're going to appreciate the success that we have and i felt like a lot of people in that era when they got i mean it, it but i don't you can't blame them for it you know what i mean like it's just like no. you, if you got thrown that kind of money and that kind of like attention at you when you were you know 19 it's hard it would be hard not to like think highly of yourself you know and it's so i don't know i'm not trying to shit on anybody i just that was what was happening at the time because there were Big labels with big money coming in and and willing to throw it around on uh, our little scene because it was it had you know it had legs. <laughs> you yeah, know, they,
0: so so that just marks us. You know, a lot of trends are this way. They say Silicon Valley was that same way where originally it's a bunch of nerds in garages and mm-hmm. everybody's doing it for whatever the reasons are that they're doing it. Mainly, they like that nerdy stuff, is what the, what it yeah. is. Just like, you know, that's maybe the way that a lot. The music thing is the same way, and then eventually when it has legs, as you say, now you have to be able to make all these other decisions, and the people that come in then are there for, you know, different reasons, but really it's the the fan, it's gone mainstream. It's like the fact that it's almost mainstream, then it's Warped Tour, and then it, it just is a mainstream form of music at some point. Right. So that that always brings that with it and the, and then the people that come in how could a 19 year old handle it if you enter directly into the commercialization phase how could you could be expected to handle that
1: i mean i think if you become a fan i always talk about bands like you know blink and green day as being like gateway drugs so that like if the first punk band that you get into when you're 13 is blink 182 then eventually you're going to discover alkaline trio because skiba plays in blink 182 and if you're gonna f- discover Alkaline Trio, then you're gonna go deeper into that world. You'll eventually come to to my band. You'll you'll you know. And so I see it as a as a net positive. And I I think that I have that perspective because I have kids, and I've learned about bands from my my kids, and just kind of going like, okay, yeah, the this is a necessary part of the uh, ecosystem because like I come to punk rock via hair metal. You know, like I was like a Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Poison kid in, you know, grade school. And then my subscription to Rip Magazine leads me to Metallica. Metallica covering the Misfits leads me to the Misfits. And then eventually I get to Fagazi and my whole world changed, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, but if I hadn't been completely obsessed about this, you know, pretty corny (laughs) <laughs> you know, yep. genre of music. Then I never. I don't know if I. It, I maybe I would have gotten there eventually. Um, but I, it, that was the path that that I I took. So I I don't. You know, I, I don't think that like popularity is necessarily bad. It's just. Um,
0: but it brings a complexity and it's hard yes, to navigate at a younger age. At least it totally
1: it totally is, and it's also hard to navigate as the artist because then you're like, am I um, am I doing this because I want it or? am I doing this because I love it or am I doing this because I need the money or am I doing this because other people expect me to do it? And all of those things are valid. Um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make a living, you know, doing your art, uh, but you do have to find that balance of like, what what do you think is appropriate? You know, we can't all be Ian Mackay, you know, <laughs> and we can't, you know, if you got Fugazi on one end and and Blink on the other, like, you know, it's just like, okay, somewhere... In between is everybody else, and we gotta like, you know, f- I, figure out what it is.
0: I like those boundaries. That, that I think that's a good spectrum. You could probably make one of those internet quizzes and have it like there four quadrants go. like that, and say what kind. Of Which where are you from? What what punk
1: ethic are you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Take this Buzzfeed, uh, commercial, or it would be a hard times quiz or
0: something yeah, like that. Oh God, uh, I love I love the hard times. When you think about the people who are blowing smoke, then. Mm. Or or whatever that element of it is. What, it, as far as where you fall on the ethic thing, there, what is it that the overly commercial people or those people, what what is it that they don't get about what's really good about all this?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because they try to like break it down to its component parts. Like, you ever read Michael Pollan? He's the guy who wrote like yeah. Omnivore's Dilemma and In Defense of Food and stuff, where he was talking about what makes an orange a perfect food? It's like, is it the vitamin C? Is it the calcium? Is it the flavor? Is it the this, that, and the other? And then you try to like break those things down and make them into like supplements, you know, so that you get all of the benefits of of eating an orange without having to eat an orange. But really, it's the orange and its uniqueness that, that makes it all work. And I think that sometimes when you're trying to replicate something that's, kind of unique and and genuine that sometimes... I mean, sometimes people attempt to replicate it and then they will make something new of their own. And that can be absolutely amazing. But it's whenever people try to, like, break things down into, like, this is what an emo band should be. This is what a punk band should be. This is, you know, these are the... That's where I think it kind of... It kind of loses the plot a little bit. You got to let people, like, breathe creatively... And, uh, you know, when, when there's lots of money being thrown around, it's, it's hard to trust people <laughs> to, to make creative decisions if you don't know that they're going to work.
0: So when you're making the music with your friends in that way uh, um, and trying to retain that, is there an innocence to it? There's a childlike innocence that you have oh, yeah. to work work to retain? Has that been your experience?
1: Um, I, I think only work to retain in the sense of, like at least for me, And what I try to foster in, I think my bandmates feel this too, some to a lesser degree than others is to like really not take it too seriously and to recognize that like this is a ridiculous thing. you know what I mean? Like, it's like, this isn't, it is a real job. It's a lot of work and I don't want to like minimize the amount of like, you know, uh, strain that it causes, but it is still like, Hey, you want to go hang out and play guitar? And now this is our job. You know, this is, this is the career that I have that feeds a family of five. You know what I mean? Like it's so yeah, it's, it's not, I don't think you can, I mean, I can't, retain the childlike innocence of a teenager at 44, you know what I mean? I can I can tap into that as a performer, and I can probably tap into that as a writer, but, you know, it would be disingenuous for me to, like, try and pretend I was a teenager,
0: and it would just be a bad look, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, like- yeah, of course on the outside, but, I mean, I really recognize, um, I mean you've been a career musician and you, you say that you're able to tap into it when you perform or write. That's mm-hmm. a really wise way to look at, at it without saying you have to be the whole immature person. You don't have to be immature, but there's something that you're able to, to, to retain well, it and it gives you that ability because, well, I mean, am I right though? You, you've you been doing creator stuff for your whole living and career at, at, at every point, right? Uh, yeah. And and is that, is, are you a lifer of that? I mean, do you, you, you think you have it like, your earnings will always come from things you create directly.
1: Ye- I, I hope, knock on wood. I, that's yeah. what, you know, I hope so. I
0: But hope you're so. willing to let a lot of other stuff, opportunities go, and things you'd be capable of doing to retain that. To, to well, retain that.
1: Yeah, like. I mean, it's, it's also, there's, um, I'm kind of in a phase right now where I'm trying to, like, evolve it a little bit and, um, you know, not not be touring... I mean, we're not touring at all right now, but, like, be touring as much. You know, like, I, I, I'm I, getting to a point where I'd like to slow that down and, like, explore other avenues and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I don't... Even the other fields that I would even consider, like, doing something in the food world, would still be in a creative way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know if I want to turn
0: my other hobby into a job... You know, <laughs> that's the thing that keeps happening is you know right. that's the pattern, isn't it? Though you 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 find something you're very interested in, that's not necessarily a career, and you get better and better at it, keep doing it, and eventually you can make money at it. And now you have decisions to make.
1: Yeah, now you have to like um, it. it kind of takes it, it can take the fun out of it.
0: You yes, know? yes, it that's what have I'm saying. To. There's something to fight for or battle for, because the stuff you choose it doesn't seem like you. Are making commercially led decisions um, overall, and you keep doing interesting and innovative new things, like it, whether it be podcasts, What I've seen you do when the pandemic happened, you were, you were doing streams immediately on there, mm-hmm. going Facebook Live, and you do children's music and side projects. And I mean, you've been doing. Tell me about the uh, you know the willingness to do children's type of music. How was that? Do you still do that?
1: When uh, when my kids were little, uh, and I quit the band. I wanted to, I'd been writing these like silly little songs for my kids just around the house and my daughter was actually like coming up with some funny little things uh, too. And so I basically was just like, okay, if I put a mu- an album of children's music out next as the first thing I do post-Get Up Kids, no one will be like, well, this isn't as good as the Get Up Kids. <laughs> It'll be like a completely different, different, you know, genre if anybody even listens to it. it actually went really well to the point that it kind of freaked me out where like nickelodeon called me and asked if i had any ideas for a tv show and our second record got written up as one of the, like then like top 10 lists for for children's music and i learned that there's this whole it's kind of similar to learning about like the christian punk scene where i was just like i had no idea this existed in like 1998 and then learning about that there's a whole children's music like ecosystem and a lot of the people in it don't have kids, which is weird. Um, oh, weird! What do you mean? Yeah, like it's people just people just like, like that style. Or are there people who k- didn't make it as a traditional musician, you know, like a rock band or whatever, and found success writing songs about bugs and shit? I see. Um, and they and it was kind of sh- it was kind of shitty and territorial. Like it was sort of like, and I was just like, oh, I don't like this at all. Um, One of the biggest on stage temper tantrums I've ever seen was on the Kids of Palooza stage at Lollapalooza. (laughs) And it was this woman in a tie-dyed like painter's suit or like a you know those like jumpsuits the Beastie Boys wear in the intergalactic video, there's like full body like mechanic Mm -hmm. jumpsuits, but it was all tie-dyed. And she had this big goofy wig on, and she was screaming at the monitor guy just, like, screaming, like, and I was just, like, what in the hell is going on here? Like, I've never treated, I've had some really rude house sound people in the (laughs) past, and I've never talked to any of them that way, you know, like, oh, please, can I get a little more, just a little more vocal, please, just a little bit? Like, thank you. Um, So, yeah, that scene was, that scene was strange, so I kind of, I actually wrote and started recording a third Terrible Twos album, that's what the band was called, but I never finished it, and, uh. You know, now that my kids
0: are older, it doesn't seem as as pressing. <laughs> you know, like they're <laughs> they're not terribly interested in it. So, but that's still another thing where you were thinking about it, thinking about the music, using your skills, making songs for your kids, and then you just continue that path of the thing you're focused on until it, you know, you get very good at it. So,
1: I'm. Ha- I mean, I'm. I think both those terrible twos records are good. I think the songs that I have kind of half started for a third one are good too. It's just um. I don't know. Maybe that's something I'll investigate in the in the future.
0: So you did the uh, uh, your first podcast that you would do back then. It was something to. What was the name of it? It was the called podcast? Nothing to Write Home About. Nothing to Write Home About, which is a great name. And the podcast, I love when you just hang out with James and just <laughs> not have you know just shoot the shit with James. I thought that was just great. Um, and then now you're doing the Vagrant Podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, how tell me about the origin of that you know that project?
1: Well. Um... Andrew Ellis, who's our, our has been our and my booking agent for 23 years, um, got hired on to run the sort of media campaign for the promotion of this Vagrant Records 25th anniversary reissue series they were doing of like reissuing vinyl and, and all that kind of stuff. And he had the idea of doing a podcast about it and I had, I was uniquely right for the job in that I'm A, at the center of a lot of some of the story, and so I'm an insider looking out, and I have podcasting experience, so it just seemed like the right fit, and from the first episode that we recorded, it was just kind of like, I was just talking to people, like talking to people, like it wasn't like someone doing an interview, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And it, it is technically an interview, but it's really almost just like me reminiscing about things with my friends. It gets a little more interviewee probably in the later years when I'm talking to people that aren't really my contemporaries, but we'll we'll see. I don't remember those being being weird, but I don't, like, you know, I, I don't know as... I didn't come up with the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, so I don't really know much about their experience. Yeah. But um, when you're talking about, like you know, dashboard, or I just did the narration for the alkaline trio episode last night. And I was just like, this is I'm really grateful that I know these people, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really, I really just like them as people. It's cool to me to to be able to like, be a part of like documenting this. You know? Yeah,
0: that's that's the feeling I have. Is, and, and it hit me pretty late in life. I've never been a, a guy that takes pictures or writes journals or any, uh, you know, I'm not a reminiscent, reflective person. Or I haven't been. But it kind of hit me at this later point, like all at once, the utility in, you know, capturing and curating stories and telling stuff and you know and making sense out of it because it almost just seems now like the information when I go back to look at it it all seems useful like I just thought Mm -hmm. it was this and that but like the patterns that emerge and how the teams work together and how do you navigate this and what is what's the principle behind that I wonder why this people are successful and why this wasn't like all that now it seems like strategically important info to me somehow plus it just um you know, I don't think we ever saw it coming. Where the, you you never thought you'd have twenty year tours or whatever that was. No, like that didn't make sense. It couldn't have made sense at the time, no. but it does make sense now. Like it. I didn't of have any plans
1: past thirty years old. You know what I mean? Like it's just like I didn't even know if I even got to that point in my head. You know, it's just yeah. like and then it, in the in the moment you're just in the moment. You know what I mean? And then you kind of look back on it now and you're just like, wow, that was a really unique experience that we had, mm-hmm. and. One of my big things is I, I didn't want it to come across in, like, a—you know how, like, uh, Woodstock generation kind of, like, boomer documentaries get into this sort of, like, like greatest rock and roll sort of, like, time, hate uh-huh. berry stuff? I, just, I really didn't want it to be like that because I really hate that—I love a lot of that music, but I hate it when people, like, reminisce about stuff like that. Like, you know, like, our time was important. And I yeah. wanted it to be more like, well, no, this was just uh, this was just unique. Like it's not it's not kissing our own ass or anything like that. I will say though, it makes me a little uncomfortable. And I wasn't fishing for this. How every interview so far has been like, well, uh, uh, almost every interview has been like, well, the GetUp kids went to Vagrant, so th- we just figured that was good enough for us. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, that's not why I asked you that. <laughs> you know, like I'm not like trying to get. I'm not trying to like fish for compliments or anything like that, but it it, it kind of um, so it makes me a little like you know I don't I don't take compliments well, so that makes me a little uncomfortable. But you know it's it's interesting because it it was like we were the first ones to do it, and I guess people figured that was a good enough reason to try it as well
0: well you're a model for lots of things i mean i said pioneer at the beginning and i know you bristle at that but it is still the fact that the longevity is there which is another rarity stewarding your brand and the Vagrant telling that story and having these things come back at the 20 year mark you're still you're early to that too because you started early so people see you oh the get up kids got back together and even all through the years if there's troubles or ups or downs like oh they're still leading kind of in the longevity sense you'll always kind of have that lead if you started in the 90s and uh, at the beginning of this phase so the older it gets is still people be looking to what happens to your career as oh what happens next at this phase because it was Motley Crue or nobody Nobody until people like us could just do it because we did it and nobody could yeah. stop us and so it is the first generation of independent bands having things like longevity nobody thought you'd make more than three records but maybe you make 10 or 20 who knows what's yeah. going to happen nobody knows or anymore. you try
1: other things you you know you try other other canvases or other other mediums or, or something like that um yeah i mean it's 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 an interesting it's just an interesting place to be To be like reflective on on all that stuff,
0: and when you mentioned that podcast and doing it uh, with Dashboard Chris Caraba there, that uh, I I mean, I don't know if you are aware of that or if it's covered in that podcast. Uh, We once covered it on this podcast because, uh, like a very early episode we did for Label that's not even out anymore because it didn't make that great of an episode and chris caraba did not like it um the episode that i made <laughs> <laughs> i found out um but uh but he came from tooth and nails you know from further in that right. and had they had to do record deal like there's drama there like record deal drama of him getting out of his tooth and nail contract to get it to, to go to vagrant and all that Just part of that story
1: uh, he he does he and i have never really talked about his involvement in that in that scene um I don't know if it's something he's not comfortable talking about, and maybe that's why he didn't like the episode that well,
0: he, cause he Well, I'm just saying, he kind of made that crossover in that way because he his big early stuff was Cornerstone, Churches, even Dashboard playing at Cornerstone is like, that's how... You know, that was all in this scene and under tooth and Mm -hmm. nail. And and then he was able to do a dashboard, get out of tooth and nails, get labeled by vagrant there all of a sudden, and then go, you know, super big. So that was part—I mean, it's good that that happened the way it did. His trajectory was going to happen regardless of the label it
1: was on. But he was able
0: to shed the Christian stigma just at the right time. He was able to do that. I guess so. It didn't hold him back.
1: No, it it didn't didn't keep him from— I mean, it didn't put any cap on his success at all, no. Yeah. I don't know, like, I don't... So, I don't know, and I told you this in that last email, that I don't know a ton about this scene, kind of by design, because, like, I don't have a great... Rela- I was t- thinking about this with the MXPX thing, which is like, okay, we're going on to with a Christian pop-punk band, and I'm like, well, I don't have a very good relationship with either of those demographics, because, like... <laughs> I went to Catholicville for 12 years, and that went poorly. And then I left a pop-punk band to start a quote-unquote fucking emo band. That was met with some distaste locally in a small group of friends. I'm making it sound bigger than it was.
0: What year was that? 95
1: eh, when we started, 96. W- with like MXP-
0: with MXPX, the tour? Oh, 98. That was in 1998.
1: That was our very first support tour. It was us, homegrown, and MXPX. And, yeah, they were wow. was very... They were very cool guys. They were very nice. Maybe not cool. They were nice.
0: (laughs) Not cool. Did you have any run-ins with those fans or remember the fans being any different?
1: Um, Two things I remember was people asking them to sign a Bible, which I thought was pretty gross. (laughs) You know, I was just like, do you even get what this book is supposed to be? It's like... When people say you shouldn't desecrate the flag, and then they make underwear out of an American flag, you know, like you're mixing up the meaning here. And uh, and then also like just being at the merch table, and again, this is like the cornerstone merch thing where like people would buy one of every one of their shirts and records, and just be like, "Gotta support the Christian bands." And I'm just like, "Yeah," <laughs> you know. It's just it was felt really disingenuous, you know. Like it just felt really like I'm not even a fan of this music, but because they're because you they're like me. I'm gonna, you know, give them
0: money, and I just yes. thought that was
1: that was that was gross.
0: To that fan, they thought, "I'm giving my, I'm donating to a cause of spreading the gospel." That you know. So at that point, now what? Who's mixed? What's mixed up here? You know, is another question.
1: You know, when people get into the debate about like college athletes getting paid or not, and I just kind of go, well, "This well, this is fundamental thing that like somebody's making money off of this kid, and he's not getting paid for it." If your whole basis is following a dude who basically took a vow of poverty and forgave and love everybody, then like, you know, capitalism is not the best way to like express that support. And mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there's I'm 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 not trying to sound like, you know, I, I I don't I don't know anything. You do whatever's right for you, but like I just I think it's 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 misinterpretation of 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 honestly even the the Jesus that I was raised to know about in you know Catholic school which like it wasn't really judgmental you know it was more like take care of the poor you know and that was that was a big part of our our parish so yeah sorry that was a bit of a rant
0: no that that's that's interesting but there's lots of stories of that where the fans like when the band started mixing and the bands would go with non-Christian bands you could go with secular bands and actually get on a tour because you're actually selling the records and you're actually good enough when you did, your fans would treat the secular bands terribly, and you'd be so embarrassed about it. Cause you get to go play with oh, 18 really? Visions, and then people are trying to, like, you know, are telling them they're going to hell, or like won't buy them, or won't watch them, and wait till the Christian band plays. Like all that, all those dynamics were real, and then you couldn't get on tours huh. because of it. And and then they'd say, well, you can come on our tour, but you can't preach from stage. We're like, we're not trying to. We just got songs to play. Can we please, you know? We could sell tickets here, can we come on this tour? And they're like, "Well, the agent doesn't want you know, you know, preaching or whatever, you know."
1: Uh, you have a totally different experience than me. Like, I I didn't know any anything about that kind of stuff. Like, my literally my own experience. Like, I guess I have two experiences. One is the MXPX thing, which was just like if people were judgmental of our hedonism, <laughs> you know, then it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it's like uh, we were too young and dumb to like notice or care, and also we were just like. Yo, yeah, you think this is cool? Watch this shit. And then we'd go play. You know, like, it just, like... Uh, like, I'm good friends with the guys in Thrice. And, you know, Dustin and I would would have these long conversations into the night. And I, I just... It's like, I, I don't have a lot of experience with, like, you know, the, the kind of judgmentalness on... I have my own baggage with Christianity. You know what I mean? From mm-hmm. my upbringing. But I always – but at the same time, I know that my grandma, before she died, went to mass every single day, and it helped her. And so – and I loved my grandma. And so I won't inherently say that I think that religion or Christianity specifically is bad because if it works for you and you're not hurting anybody, then I think it's a positive thing. It's the judgment and the, you know – if you don't believe what I believe, then you're going to go to hell thing that I get a little like, all right, (laughs) you know, just like, next, (laughs) you know, it's just like, I'm not going to even engage. Yeah. There's a, a, one of my wife's aunts is like that and she's a bit, she kind of drives me nuts.
0: Thing. Yeah, well, that you know, that was kind of what the territory was like um, in some ways, but it, it it worked out. There was enough b- good bands and open minded people on on different sides. I would have seen you as hedonistic in some way, probably is a good word. Oh, for especially it. if you hung out with us. We, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, then I we saw have thought you we would have thought you were
1: a dork. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that, yeah, exactly, that's
0: exactly what it was. I remember seeing um, we were we were on tour from Autumn to Ashes one time, and like we went in the bathroom and they were doing cocaine or something and we just went to the vans like what are we going to do what are we going to do we saw somebody do cocaine tonight you know or something like that
1: you know it's uh... a <laughs> i mean if you're raised in a in a sterile environment like a like a church then you're 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 walking into you know taverns and places of ill repute you know and you can't just expect everybody there to be you know, walking the same line that, that you are and that you grew up in. And so that's that's just, you know, it's just, I mean, it's like that way with other things in life, but I, I can imagine that if all you really know is like a really sheltered, like Christian sort of scene that, uh, yeah, you wouldn't have liked us.
0: Well, I, but I was a fan. Like I remember when I saw you guys, it would have been 2000 on the tour with and Weezer, the Out Loud tour. Do you yeah. remember that? 2001. Like 2001, 2001. Yep, that fall we moved to Seattle. So that was okay. as we were forming our band. We there we see Ozma, which Ozmo was so terrific, and that uh, that was yeah. a great Weezer tour of them getting back into the swing. And I remember seeing you guys in the middle. You were, I, it was uh, such an energetic show that you were doing, and I couldn't believe that y'all were all drinking beers on stage. I was like, how do you drink <laughs> beer and do all that athletic looking like stuff? And then later, of course, I'm drinking three beers during a set myself. Yeah. But I remember seeing you guys having beers on stage and drinking them instead. Of Of water and thinking that is so crazy that they do that, you know.
1: (laughs) We got so when we got the band back together, we played at the bamboozle one year and uh we actually stopped the set and like toasted each other on stage with our our beers. And Ellis, our booking agent, was like, that was so stupid. And I was just like, Fuck you. (laughs) It's like this is this is who we are. Uh I actually can't do I don't drink I, I rarely drink alcohol on stage now because it just drives my throat out. And it's like, all right, get it little bit of a buzz before you go on and then just make sure there's some cold ones when you come off and but like other i'm really paranoid about my voice because i'm i'm singing like a 20 year old for an hour and a half (laughs) you know what i mean and that's like i can't i can't just shake that off i have to actually like take a little bit of care of myself
0: yeah well i've really enjoyed everything you're doing i saw you doing live streams and trying to do that on another level are you going to do more of that
1: uh, I don't know if we will. Maybe once it gets cold out again, because like we're playing actual shows now, and then uh, the live streams, we definitely like established like a a, a level of of cinematography. I guess <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the right word or not. But now we're just like, well, we can't go back to. I think we might do a live stream for the show we're playing next weekend, but it might only be for our Patreon patrons, and it'll be more of like a traditional like you know actual actual like live stream like yeah, like a bootleg at a show but
0: there'll be new frontiers to come in that and VR and whoever knows what else but an established brand with a longevity performer that knows how to innovate and try new things you know i'll i'll be expecting to see you in the emerging I, mediums as they unfold from here personally i i i would like to explore that
1: like we're, the band itself is kind of a, a bit of a dinosaur in that mm-hmm. we move relatively slow and we kind of go collect as a band we kind of go kicking and stre- kicking and screaming into the into the new frontier it's just you know um, we just have done it this one way for so like even social media stuff like we just hired a social media person which we'd put off for a long time because we didn't want to pay for it but it's like we suck at this <laughs> you know like we're, we're too old to like be you know any good at social media yeah I got a, I got a couple of things that I'm I'm working on that are kind of outside the traditional uh, uh, one of which is I'm trying to develop another another podcast. I'm trying to figure out what exactly it is that I want to do because I know the vagrant the vagrant one's finite. You know, there's only so many uh, episodes. I think there's t- ten or twelve. I don't remember. It's kind of weird to do a podcast that you don't get to edit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it just sort of like it's out of your hands. But I, I trust Jesse a lot. He the producer. He's really great.
0: Yeah, I think it's coming out really good, and I, I get a lot out of it. So I really appreciate you doing it. And you got new stuff that you're doing, Um so I'll be excited to see what that is. But one of them might even be cooking. I mean, it seems like you're developing a cooking interest.
1: Uh, Yeah, I just don't know how to exploit it, really. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like This guy was doing a documentary, and I was interviewed in it, and he was like, you know, if you ever want to make a cooking show, hit me up. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to make a cooking show. Like, my least favorite part of being in a band is making music videos. Yeah, I <laughs> So it yeah. just, like... It's just like, I don't know, like, and I don't, I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. I just taught myself how to cook and, you know, from watching Food Network in the 90s. But um, I don't know, it's an avenue that I, being, doing something in food is an avenue I'd be interested in exploring. I just don't, I definitely don't want to like, you know, turn that into my full-time job.
0: I bet it'll be a piece of it, and I'll just guess that digital events, and they send cocktail kits or custom events <laughs> where they're mixed physical, mixed VR. Oh. Mi- like there's food, there's food in those. Uh, you know, th- you do events for a living. You, there's a venue, there's catering. You know, this all can work together. So I it's like
1: a, it's like a, a, a virtual event. You order like a like almost like a Blue Apron or Hello Fresh sort of meal that you design, that I design, the experience and, of and yep. a cock and a cocktail kit, and then we have dinner together.
0: Well, I you, guess? there's a show. There's a show. <laughs> oh, and there's then a, I play. Oh, it's re- dinner and a show. Don't forget, okay, you're yeah. a performer as well. Right, 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 right. You're right. And you made dinner for them, and you could perform, and you create the environment in their living room or mixed part. I don't know, or it's in a real place, like maybe it's a. A songs and stories tour where you are the caterer and do a set. And there's, a, you know, expensive tickets where...
1: I don't know, man. Being the I will say being the caterer and the <laughs> performer sounds
0: like a lot of work. You're just the executive chef, though. For okay, 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 I okay. But you design the experience for people, and that's what I get. At. That's what podcasting is kind of like. You, you cultivate an experience for people to have through earphones or in a venue or wherever. It's an experience that you make. I have and a cooking couple. Is, I have a couple of, those. of
1: celebrity chef friends that are punk rockers. And like, maybe I'll I'll get them to like partner with me on it, and we'll do there, like there's something food and wine events or something like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a good idea, Matt. That's I'll have to like I'll have to sit with that. I just try to I just try to follow certain trend lines and and see where they connect down the road. That's kind of the way I think of what's to do next. Like what trends could overlap. But I, th- I saw those cocktail kits, so we make streams and we could get some bar sales if we could send out the cocktail kits for our streams. I mean, I hadn't done it yet, but it's kind of interesting.
1: Obvious. What do you think of uh, like podcasting outside of the interview format, like in like a narrative, like storytelling kind of way?
0: Well, I'm more interested. I've almost gotten to where I think I'm less interested in narrative and more interested in context. That's what I like about podcasting and long form or this conversation today. We popped around today, so it's a context context more than a narrative and so i think that context is what podcasts become i think eventually you're probably doing the podcast in a physical virtual environment so instead of Mm. being this 2d thing we're doing now like you can sit in the room with you and me and james and have a podcast and other people can literally sit beside us in the physical space if they're wearing the helmet i imagine that's have you messed around with
1: vr stuff
0: Kind I of I put it on a few times and it sw- swept me away. Like as soon as I went yeah. into a social environment and felt like I was talking to another person, even though they were in Singapore, um, I was like, "Holy shit, there's stuff to do here." But it's way early, but there's stuff to do there. I mean, you can see, like, you can go with your friends and then go maybe watch somebody do a podcast, and you'll all feel like you're in the room.
1: What about like streaming, like Twitch stuff, or or like I know a lot of people are. Rob, the singer at Koufax, who he's now like one of the heads of merchandising at, at Warner Brothers. And every time I would see him, he'd be like, You know what, you need to do what the kids are doing is just start playing video games. And then Basically. Like, bands are getting big because they're streaming their Twitch channels or whatever. And I'm just like, That doesn't sound like something. I'm not even into video games at all. Like, that doesn't sound like.
0: But video games are headed your way, is the point. So you'll be less and less discussed as video games, but they're going to be environments that come our direction like the video game is a context it's an environment you can do a, a concert in a, uh, a video game like Fortnite or whatever so it's just the so platform it's the like place it's the, yeah minecraft venue? or whatever there are places you know? now there are digital environments which means you can do events inside of them and bands can play and you can hang out
1: if i do a gig in minecraft am i blocked out like am I turned into I, I don't like, a know. Minecraft? Character? I mean, I'm not
0: saying it's there yet, but it's just that's what they do. might they're beard? gonna merge in that way. Like it would
1: be like just squares, like gray square, black square, gray square, black square.
0: It'll look similar to uh, gravel. Yeah, it'd be gravel <laughs> bricks from Minecraft, and <laughs> they make your beard out of yeah. This is fascinating. I didn't, I hadn't thought about it
1: in that context. That's that's really interesting. Just maybe using it you
0: wear one thing. of those suits with the beads on it and play, and you show up in real time in the in just a video like a game mo-cap, avatar. a mo-cap I don't know suit, whatever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy. <laughs> That's really I crazy. I—I I mean, all these things are interesting to me. Like, I'd—I mean, I like talking to you about this. I would love to f- talk about it further. But like, just all of these new—you know—I don't even during the pandemic, and I—I I know this isn't. I mean, even if—even as if they're now talking about like COVID being like endemic, where it's just sort of like it's just going to be part of our lives from now on, like the mm-hmm. flu is. There's definitely still like I was kind of like, I don't know if live music's going to really be the same after this, and it it is. it has been, you know, it's like we played our first shows back last weekend, and everybody was just you know hungry for it. Things were different, but but I'm always really fascinated to like kind of explore the space of new ways to work outside of that traditional, you know, go on tour. Mm-hmm. Play in a club with a bunch of dicks drawn on the dressing room wall. Yeah. You know, like that, that, I don't dislike that, but it doesn't like excite me the way it did 20 years ago. You know what I yeah. mean? Like There'll be good, new
0: environments to create and to make use of. And like that'll be, well, I guess what the territory is. So, you know, we'll see it unfold. We'll see a lot of changes from here, I imagine. But it's probably going to, I don't know. I'm not sure what'll happen. But, you uh, know, it would
1: be an interesting, a, a further talk between you and I, maybe in a different. Uh, podcast or something like that. I would be really curious to like talk to you about your like Christian upbringing and like how you interpreted certain bands versus how I interpreted them, like in like learning about them. Mm-hmm. Like, does that make sense? I think so. Because we we have a similar upbringing from different perspectives. Yes. And so it's like take a band like Mineral, where who I just know as these like four drunks from Austin, but there's a religious. You know, I think there's Chris. Chris's lyrics have some religious undertones to them, don't they? They do to
0: me. Yeah. That's how I take them. I mean, whatever, you know. But I never thought of them that way. You know what I mean? Like, I never... To me, that's like the most Christian feel in a way because it's like desperate, weak, like, like, you know, when you think of Jesus, it's like he's Christian the low, just, weak, but it's, yet it's all powerful me. when it really is so powerful, but it's powerful in exposing w- the weakness or the turn-the-other-cheekness of it. Like, it's that that weakness and power thing.
1: But isn't that just a human thing? Why did you think that was specifically a Christian
0: thing? Jesus is the best of that, and that that, that feel, that's what I'm saying. That's just how we identify. You know, that's just what you no, think. No, I know. It, that's why it's
1: fascinating to me, because it's just like—because I think, again, we're coming to the same conclusion from different— you know different lenses because, like, yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. the thing about minerals. It is very vulnerable and then gets really powerful. Yeah, and um,
0: it seems like he has to be singing about what I'm thinking, like what's you know whatever that is. But but you you know you just yeah, you're but all... like
1: just because because your your mind is like from this like this area of like everything. I assume I'm I'm putting words in your mouth, but like that everything is somehow based around your faith. Yes, right. Like that's every, right. because every... it's a
0: monoculture. Right, Like in right, the South. Right, right. Like it's, it's, a, it's a, and you're playing music at church and yeah, you, that's your first way to play it. It's like Little League Baseball. You can play at church. You can get, play with people. It's like, you know, it's a farm team, you know.
1: We had good music at church, but it was all like hymns. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that I never really connected with like the, the Christian punk scene at all because I was just like, I don't, I don't see what you see in this. And like people, and I've used religious imagery in my own lyrics and people, but I use it really just kind of because um, I know it, you know, and it's good. It's good. Uh, it's good metaphor. But um, I, I, people will come up to me and and ask me about my faith, and I'm just kind of like, well, you know, you you do you, <laughs> you know. It's just like I I if you if that's what you I'm a bit, I'm a firm believer in that once I once I sing something once I write something and I put it out there ceases to be under my control anymore and I can I can always know that like this is what it means to me but mm-hmm. like whatever you get out of it as long as you're not using it to like you know start a Nazi party or something like that then like just you can you can you can be it can be what, about whatever you want it to be.
0: But you project certain energy as a lead singer in your band, and yours has a lot of lighthearted and all this kind of stuff that maybe doesn't overlay as tightly on Christianity as the guilt and trying to overcome. And I, you know, there, you know what I mean. There's mm. a, the part of it is that expression of feeling or working out guilt. I don't. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I'm putting words in any lyric writer. No, music I understand what mouth, you're saying. I, I, I think th- this is part of the resonance.
1: I get frustrated whenever we get lumped in with this concept of like emo band just being like guy singing about how he's bummed that a girl dumped him. Mm-hmm. And like, cause that's not what I've ever written about. And, um, but yeah, I, I see, I see what you're saying too. Like, it's like we're, we're not as, uh, I guess dramatic would be. The it's, dr- word. it's very dramatic
0: and epic is what we pull yeah. from. I think, and you, you get. I think, yeah, dramatic and epic is things that we were trying to channel. That a lot of Christian bands, I think, try to channel. It's, so, are you still? Are you still a practicing Christian? No, I mean, no. <laughs> no I so to me now, I, I've gone through a process that we all call deconstruction, and the Bad Christian podcast has been um, largely that experiment. Right, and so I still fully. I, it, the only way i can say it is all the scriptures make more sense to me now I'm able to interpret them from a higher what i consider to be a higher more graduated perspective yeah, than the same like i have the reflective ability or some ability to look at the scriptures and Jesus and take more from it than prescription and dogma so i'd let those things go prescription and dogma basically I
1: think that's a that i think that's a, a much better perspective. Way to be.
0: But I still see the world through all the same t- I mean, I still use the scriptures for w- as wisdom literature. It's yeah. just I can also get stuff from Eastern wisdom literature as well now, too, which is great.
1: Well, and you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of how to be a good person from fucking superhero movies, too. Right. Know? Like, it's just like, uh, it's not the, the, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing that I think a lot of... Uh, I, don't know, I don't remember that a lot in Catholic school because I think but I don't know if I was even
0: receptive to it because I started rebelling against it around 3rd or 4th grade. You'll see a lot of the bands in our scene are you know like they were wrestling with the lyrics and the doubts and the questioning and that really felt good to a lot of people to be able to do and hear have other punk rock music resonating through doubt yeah. with the struggle with faith as the punk outsiders not the you know homers for Christ, you know Part you know wasn't that that wasn't our our, our scene it was a, it was a, the emo overlaid that really especially the sad or the guilt I don't know those are the things that no kind that of come makes total up, sense you know? to me but uh, a lot of them will be at Furnace Fest you're excited about Furnace Fest that's the last thing I want to talk about we- <laughs> wait nice transition yeah <laughs> uh,
1: sure yeah it's gonna be great I guess I don't know they they have like the lowest vaccine rate in the country in yeah. Alabama so we'll see we're we're all we're all you know vaxxed up but um, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be fun.
0: Um, we do Which don't,
1: day are you? We're on Sunday. When are you playing?
0: Uh, Friday. I think okay. I'll be... I might be gone Sunday. I might see you. I don't know what time I'm leaving. Well, I'll buy you a beer if we see you on Sunday. Yeah, that sounds great. You getting in on Sunday or you getting in Saturday, though?
1: We're getting in Sunday. We're playing a couple shows on the way down there. We're going to be in St. Louis the night before, so I think... Oh, God. I think we're going to have to drive a little after the show, which I hate doing mm-hmm. after after the St. Louis show. And then I kind of think we're going to bounce as soon as we can because it's like a 13-hour drive home from Birmingham back to Lawrence. So,
0: Right on. Well, looking forward to it, and hopefully running to you there would be great. Yeah, man. We can go get some Alabama white barbecue, whatever the hell that is. I love the white sauce; it's the best. I've never had it. I'm a, I'm good. from KC,
1: man. I'm a, a bit of a barbecue purist, but well, I'm willing to try anything once. Yeah, I like their sauce.
0: Again, everybody can check out the Vagrant podcast. But thank you for spending time um, with me today. It's really great to just try to get yeah, some of this perspective of of what we do and the, from the other point of view. There,
1: I I would love to explore it further if you ever wanted to. So. Um, This was this was really fun for me. I was I was actually
0: looking forward to this
1: uh, more than most things that I have to do on Zoom.
0: (laughs) Well, if we're both in the same mindset of trying to analyze and understand and learn and use that to go forward or uh, archive it, share along the way. You know, my dream is that there's some new scene to build of some type.
1: There's got to be a a a place where you're talking about like because you know what you're really talking about when you get into the quote unquote emo thing is you're talking about you know earnestness and uh sincerity mm-hmm. and i think that like true faith before it kind of without any like corruption to it, it s- certainly fits into that those parameters you know a- what i mean like,
0: earnestness is a great word yeah authenticity too basically authenticity. Like, that's what that's what kind of i think connects it all but earnestness i haven't had that word in my vocabulary for it but uh sincerity those are that's really good i appreciate that
1: that's a uh that's a uh, uh, Hank Williams quote: "They're like, why do people like this hillbilly music?" And he just said one word: sincerity. I'm mm-hmm. just like, yeah, that's how I feel about fucking dashboard. <laughs> you know, like it's just like, why do people like Caraba? And it's like, well, he's he's real. You know, he's he really is. So
0: Yeah, that's and great. You
1: can, you can hear all
0: about it on this episode five of the Vagrant <laughs> <Vigrant laughs> podcast. Well, I appreciate the, the time very much today, man. I've enjoyed it. Cheers man, thank you for doing this.